we are going to open up the book of Jonah. Uh, it's going to be with you guys if this is your first time here. My name is Garrison, and I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas Dayton. We are very, very glad that you're here. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles with me, uh, we're going to be looking at Jonah, uh, the entire book, Jonah 1 to 4. Uh, and we'll be reading all of Jonah this morning. Uh, we're, be- we're beginning our sixth Sunday uh, exposition of the book of Jonah. We're going to open uh, the book of Jonah this morning by simply getting acquainted with the book. Uh, and then we'll kind of work our way through uh, Jonah in the following week. So let's open our Bibles uh, to Jonah 1, verses 1, and we're going to read on until 4.11, Jonah 4.11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, uh, and uh, you can turn to Jonah 1, Jonah 1, 1, and read through Jonah 4.11. Uh, Jonah is um, going to be found um, after the Psalms and before the New Testament, if that kind of helps you get your bearing. And then uh, Jonah 1, uh, the chapter numbers are um, the uh, larger numbers on the page, and then the verse numbers uh, are the smaller numbers in between the sentences. Turn to Jonah 1, 1, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, very quickly, uh, we have available this morning, should have received it when you walked in, a, a sort of devotional private worship guide to assist you in Bible reading and in prayer uh, for the next several weeks as we walk through Jonah. Uh, including, uh, included in it is uh, just a, a kind of guide for scripture reading, uh, and, it, and it's based on what the particular scripture text is uh, on the Sunday leading into the week. Um, and so you can read and further reflect on the truth of God's word after Sunday morning uh, using that little prayer guide and that guided way of reading. And it's sort of just a guided way to read and pray through the particular scripture passages that we're looking at together. Uh, we, we can together as a community be working our way through the book of Jonah, reading the same scripture text, praying the same prayers uh, that you're in covenant community with and receiving the Lord's Supper with. Uh, on a weekly basis, which is just a, a wonderful way for us to, to build unity and community with one another uh, as we spend time in a particular text, spend time praying for the same things every week. So um, take this guide home with you. Please use it. Wake up early in the morning, uh, read through the scripture text, pray the prayers, uh, and, and I am certain that that will be of benefit to you if you avail yourself to it. Um, Well, let's uh, dig into Jonah. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, we are going to read all of Jonah this morning. Let's listen with reverence and with joy because this is the voice of our God addressing us. This is what the Spirit says to you, church. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
that this is that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we reflect on your word now, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you? And would you enlighten the eyes of our understanding? Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word, things about you? Would you also help us to recognize those somewhat painful and shameful things about ourselves? Would you use seeing those things in ourselves to draw us to repentance and confession and and deeper repentance and deeper trust in you and deeper rest in you? And ultimately, would you comfort us? Would you give us quiet minds, peaceful consciences as we reflect on this text and help us to see you as the God of great mercy? the God who relentlessly pursues us and readily protects us at every turn. Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I'd venture to say that uh, the majority of us probably have some familiarity with the book of Jonah. There's probably several reasons for that. If you grew up in church... Uh, You probably heard not a few renditions of the story uh, of Jonah and the whale. Yes, you heard that story much, I'm sure. Uh, Although it doesn't actually say whale, it just says great fish. Uh, But many focus on this particular aspect of the story as if uh, that's the uh, most important part, as if there's nothing else to the story. Um, and, and you can kind of see why it's quite entertaining and it's, it's uh, memorable, it's, it's quite spectacular. Uh, so on the one hand, you can kind of understand why this portion of the story, this, this part about the fish is so heavily focused on by Sunday school teachers and, and why it's often uh, remembered, so well remembered by Sunday school attendees. Uh, and also, uh, I, I believe many kind of focus on the fish because, I mean, it's obviously a spectacular claim. Uh, that, that a great fish swallowed Jonah and carried him through the sea and vomited him out on dry 
land. That's, that's really something. It's, it's hard to believe for, for many people. They call it a fish story, uh, if you know what I mean. And so many apologists for the book have spent a great deal of time and energy uh, trying to show how all of this business with the fish is indeed possible. They spend a great deal of time um, focusing on the fish part of the story, looking at the historical records and the historical nature of the book and so on and so forth. But for those reasons and more, people spend a great deal of time worrying about the fish. Uh, have you ever noticed how uh, when you point at something to show something to a dog, you, you know, there's a dog, you want the dog to look at something, and you point at the thing that you want the dog to look at, the dog, instead of looking at the thing you're pointing at, will often look at your finger instead. It will look at you pointing rather than at the thing you're pointing at. Have you ever noticed that? Well, this morning, we're going to begin a six-Sunday exposition of the book of Jonah, and we're going to start with a very brief overview, a kind of introduction to the book, uh, and this won't be a typical kind of sermon, a typical kind of thing that we do here on Sunday morning. It's going to be a little light on practical application, and one of our goals this morning is simply to become familiar with the book of Jonah, uh, but it's all very necessary because we want to understand what it is we're looking at in the next uh, in the coming weeks, in the coming month and a half or so. And so we, we just read through all of the book of Jonah, uh, and let me encourage you to do that every day this week. Every day this week, read the entire book of Jonah. In your times of family worship, read the book of Jonah. In your times of private worship, read the book of Jonah. It literally only takes eight minutes, so it doesn't take very long at all. It's a short book, and so you can do it every single day with your family and then privately in your times of, of prayer and, and Bible reading. Uh, and, and hopefully as we do so, as we reflect on it this morning, as we read uh, throughout the week, we, we, we begin, we'll begin to familiarize ourselves with the book so that we know where we are as we walk through, through it slowly in the coming weeks. And what we're going to see as we do so is that Jonah, the book of Jonah, is about the prophet Jonah being sent to Nineveh by Yahweh, the God of great mercy. So the book of Jonah is about the prophet Jonah being sent to Nineveh by, the, by Yahweh, the God of great mercy. And we'll unpack that this morning by answering four questions. First, what kind of book is Jonah? Uh, second, who is Jonah? Third, uh, who is Nineveh? And four, who is Yahweh? So one, what is the book of Jonah? Two, who is Jonah? Three, who is Nineveh? And four, who is Yahweh? And hopefully that will kind of give us our sea legs as we set out on this journey of walking through Jonah in the coming weeks. Uh, first, what kind of book is Jonah? And that's a really interesting question because Jonah is a really interesting book. Uh, we typically place Old Testament books within one of four categories. Uh, there's the Pentateuch, um, and, and, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, there's the historical books, which uh, reveal to us the history of the nation of Israel, and that's uh, all the books that we find from Joshua to Esther, from Joshua to Esther. Those are the historical books books. Uh, and then we find after Esther, we find the uh, poetic and the wisdom literature, uh, which includes Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And then finally, uh, the last set of books that we find in the Old Testament are the prophets. And the prophets are um, the books in the Old Testament that we find from the prophet Isaiah to the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. And within this particular category of books, we have the major prophets, and the minor prophets. Uh, the major prophets are um, the really long prophetic books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the 12 minor prophets are the shorter prophetic books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. 
And these prophetic books uh, are, are, are the books written by are, uh, or, or about, they're either written by or they're about the prophets in the Old Covenant. Uh, now the role of prophet was a role in the Old Covenant before Jesus came. And uh, what the prophets did was they spoke on God's behalf. Uh, they were not unlike ambassadors. They spoke for God. Uh, they, they preached the word of God to the people of God, and, and also sometimes to other nations as well, even though that wasn't as common, but they did uh, often preach to other nations as well. They spoke to present issues, like when the people of God had fallen into sin, they, uh, they called the people of God to repentance and, and reminded them of what the Bible said and how they were to live and worship and what they were to believe. Uh, they also addressed uh, not just present-day issues, but future issues as well. Present-day uh, issues were typically what they preached about, but they also, from time to time, announced future events, especially events like the coming of Jesus and the Day of Judgment. Uh, to sum it up, we could say that prophets, that the prophets, they spoke for God to the people of God to remind them that they were in covenant relationship with God and to communicate the promises of God. Now, Jonah was a prophet. And the book of Jonah is a prophetic book. The, the book of Jonah is a minor prophet because as you could tell when we just read it a few minutes ago, it's very short, it's a very short book. Uh, but this tiny book, it's a short little book, but it packs a big punch. There's a lot going on here, so much that takes place in the book. Uh, and it's, it's really a rather odd book as well. It's a, it's a very odd book. If you read the other prophets, the major prophets and, and the minor prophets, the other minor prophets, uh, you see that the book of Jonah is very unique. Uh, you see... Uh, because the other prophets tend to, uh, tend to focus more uh, about the, the message, the preaching, the sermons of the prophets uh, that the uh, books are named after. But, but they're, they're typically filled with the content of the prophets' preaching. Uh, and it's much more, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just mainly about what they taught about, what they preached about. Uh, now, the, the book of Jonah contains just really a tiny bit of preaching. There's not much preaching at all in the book of Jonah, and it's much more about the story of Jonah. It's about Jonah's story and his being sent to Nineveh by Yahweh. Uh, now, there are some other stories in the prophetic books. There are some stories in the prophetic books, but they typically take up much less space. They're not as focused on, and they're not as important in the books as the preaching is, as the sermons are. But we see the opposite in Jonah. Jonah is what we could call uh, a prophetic narrative book. It's almost, it's, it's definitely a prophetic book, but it's also a story. It's a narrative, and so it's a prophetic narrative book. Uh, the structure of it is fascinating. There are a total of seven episodes in Jonah, and you could put up the, uh, the um, outline of the, the episodes here. Um, episodes one through three are mirrored by uh, episodes three through six, and then it concludes with uh, a seventh episode. That's the conclusion, the climax of the story. Episode A1 is Jonah 1 to 3, where Jonah is sent by Yahweh, but rather than going where, God, uh, where Yahweh sends him, he flees. He runs away. Uh, episode B1 is Jonah 1, 4 to 6, where Jonah ends up uh, among the kind of pagans that he was trying to get out of going to, uh, and he preaches to them, and, and they repent. Uh, episode C1 is uh, in Jonah 1, 17 to 2, 10, where Jonah prays a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, the, the next three episodes uh, after that kind of mirror those three episodes. Episode A2 is Jonah 3, 1 to 3, where Jonah is recommissioned to go to Nineveh, and this time he actually goes uh, where Yahweh sends him. Um, uh, episode B2 is in Jonah 3, 3 through 10, where Jonah preaches among the pagan Ninevites, and they repent. And then episode C two or uh, C three 
uh, or C2, sorry, episode C2 is in Jonah 4, 1 to 4, where Jonah prays again. But this time, it's not a prayer of thanksgiving, uh, but of anger and frustration and complaining. He's, he's very angry. Uh, he's exceedingly displeased, as the book says. And then the book concludes with Jonah uh, 4, 5 to 11, where God teaches Jonah and the reader a lesson on mercy and compassion. We'll see, it's, it's a brilliantly put together story it really is a, a literary masterpiece it's got humor and double entendre and irony and hyperbole and multiple layers of meaning and single phrases and, and, then the, and the book closes uh with without any sort of satisfying conclusion but it does that on purpose it's it closes without any sort of satisfying conclusion so that you're left in, in kind of an unsettling self-reflection it's a subversive and unsettling story that leads you to have a great distaste a great distaste for the likes of jonah but then you're left wondering in the end uh, how much you're actually like him. Uh, you, you, you begin to see yourself in Jonah and his, and his snobbery and in his, uh, in his anger. And speaking of Jonah, we need to kind of do some basic introductions here as well to the characters of the book. There are three main characters that we need to know. Um, the, the first is Jonah, uh, which is, may seem obvious. The second is not actually a person but a city, the city of Nineveh. And then the third is Yahweh. Um, first, we need to know about the book's namesake, Jonah. Now, we don't actually know if Jonah uh, wrote the book uh, or if it was recorded and written by someone else, uh, but Jonah was definitely a real person. Uh, this book is no mere parable. Uh, it's, it's definitely not a work of fiction. It has all the trappings of a historical narrative. Uh, the first time we meet Jonah in the Bible is actually uh, in 2 Kings fourteen twenty-five. He served as a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was a very wicked king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and he reigned for about 100, uh, after, uh, 150 years after the reign of King Solomon, uh, and long after the kingdom had split in two, with Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Jonah would have been a, a prophet in Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, now Israel had, uh, it was facing an enormous amount of problems in Jonah's day, uh, the people were idolatrous in their worship. They were unethical in their living. They were heretical in their beliefs. Uh, and not only that, but there's also a great deal of political and military problems. Uh, just north of Israel was Assyria. Uh, Assyria was the superpower of the day. And it was all Israel could do to try to remain independent and free from Assyrian control. Uh, Assyria's imperialism threatened, to, uh, threatened the existence of Israel for over 50 years at this point. And uh, they had already given up some land and some boundaries to the Assyrian control. And the people of Assyria, they were, they were merciless. Uh, they were merciless people in their military conque conquest. Their, their tactics, uh, their, their torture, they were absolutely horrendous. They did horrendous things to people that they defeated and were at war with. So needless to say, the people of Israel absolutely hated Assyria. Uh, but now by the time Jeroboam II ascended to the throne, the Assyrian Empire had been weakening uh, due to famine and due to some political divisions. And so during Jeroboam's reign, uh, Israel was actually able to take back some of their land that they had lost. Um, and, and they were actually more successful and prosperous than they had been for a very long time. And, and the person who got to deliver that good news was actually Jonah. Uh, Jonah himself got to deliver the good news to the people of Israel that they were going to be very successful and prosperous under the reign of Jeroboam, uh, who was this wicked king that didn't deserve any such thing. He had been a, a good news prophet 
to uh, bad, bad people. The, the, the Israelites, they were bad, they were doing horrendous things themselves. Assyria was not the only horrendous nation at the time. Uh, Israel, was, was, they were doing horrendous things. They were awful. And yet Jonah delivers good news to them, and, and we see Yahweh be merciful and kind and, 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 and show uh, great grace to the people of Israel who didn't deserve any such thing. He had, Jonah literally had a front row seat to the grace and the mercy of God in the people of Israel who were wicked and evil and undeserving, which is the main reason that we see Jonah so reluctant to go to Nineveh in this book. Uh, in, in the first verse of chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, uh, as it did to, to other prophets, and uh, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, tells him to go to the people of Nineveh, uh, to warn them of a coming judgment because of their wickedness. Now, now who is Nineveh? Nineveh was an Assyrian city. Uh, the location of Nineveh would be uh, a little over a, a, a six-hour drive from modern-day Baghdad, just north of, of Baghdad. Uh, and, and that's about the same as, as from here to St. Louis. So it's, it's pretty close there. And at the time of Jonah, it was a very large and important city. Uh, we see in Jonah 4.11 that Nineveh had a population of about 120,000 people, uh, which may not seem so large to us today, but at the time it was incredible. Uh, it was a very large population. But it was not only great in population, it was great uh, and, and large in terms of, of square mileage and, and, and importance. In Jonah 3.3, 3, we see that the city of Nineveh was a three-day journey in breadth. Uh, the city, including all of the outlying villages and, and uh, what we might call suburbs, uh, was up to 56 miles across. Uh, e- even the downtown area, the sort of uh, uh, Nineveh proper, was a very large, very important city uh, it, it, because it, it was an economic and political hub. Uh, and, and that was one of the kickers here for Jonah. It was, a, it was actually a military hub. For the Assyrian Empire, uh, the, the, the people, the, the, a military hub for this ruthless superpower uh, uh, of Assyria that the Israelites hated with a passion. And, and Jonah knew that the Lord was gracious and merciful and that he was the type of God who would forgive and restore and relent from disaster. He knew that the Lord uh, is not only the God of Israel, but the God of all creation. He is the God who is concerned about all nations of the earth. In fact, that's why the people of Israel were a people in the first place and why they were chosen uh, as a people amongst all nations. They were chosen in the first place long, long ago. The, the nation of Israel was chosen long, long ago in God's covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord promises uh, that he would bless Abraham and that he would bless the people that would come from Abraham, the nation of Israel, so that they would be a blessing to all nations. The, the people of Israel were literally formed to be a people that would bless all peoples of the earth, all nations of the earth. And so the Lord was going to bless all nations through the people of Israel. And so in all reality, the Lord is just calling Jonah to live out the vocation of the people of Israel in the first place. It, he was calling Israel, he was calling Jonah to be a blessing to all nations. Jonah was being called to be a blessing to Nineveh, to Assyria, to this nation that Jonah so hated. So when Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, he runs in the complete opposite direction. But now because of the, who the Lord is, Jonah is unsuccessful in running away from him. Which brings us to our third and last introduction. Who is Yahweh? Who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the covenant name, the, the personal name of the God of Israel, the, the God of the Bible. He's the one who calls Jonah. Uh, he is the uncreated creator, the self-existing, self-sufficient God. He is the mighty sovereign of the cosmos, but he's also the merciful savior. 
Uh, And both of these things are heavily emphasized throughout the book of Jonah. Two big themes in, in Jonah are God's sovereignty and God's mercy. First, we see that Yahweh is the mighty sovereign. He is the creator, the sustainer, the the king of all creation. That's why, as we see in Jonah 1-2, that the wickedness of the Ninevites comes up before him. Why? He sees it. He sees all. He's present everywhere, and and he has authority and control over all. So the, the, the wickedness of the Ninevites comes up before him. That's why when Jonah tries to flee, Yahweh is able to cause the storm because he has control over all of creation. That's why when Jonah is thrown overboard, God provides, he appoints a fish, this great fish to swallow Jonah. That's why the sailors and the Ninevites repent, because Yahweh is able to grant repentance to those whom he chooses to grant repentance. That's why Jonah is unsuccessful in running away. That's why in chapter 4, the Lord causes, he's able to cause a plant to grow. And then he's able to cause a worm to go eat this plant. And he's able to cause wind to blow uh, from the east to um, bother Jonah. He is the mighty sovereign, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he grants repentance to whom he chooses. He controls the wind and the sea and plants and animals. He controls all things. He has all authority over all. He is present in all places. He is the mighty sovereign. And so Jonah actually says this. In, in chapter 1, the sailors, uh, when the storm comes upon the sea and, and their, their ship is, is threatening to, to break apart this mighty tempest, they're all crying out to their gods and, and they ask Jonah who he is. And this is what he tells them. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Which is so wonderful because uh, Jonah was running away from pe- preaching to pagans and then he ends up preaching to pagans. I, I, I love that part of the story. But what he, what he says to them is that God, the God he worships is the God of heaven. He is the God who rules over all. He's enthroned above all. But not only that, he says he's the king of heaven, but he's also the creator of the sea and the dry land. Meaning he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He creates, he sustains, he rules over, he controls, he has all authority over. He is present amongst all of creation. There's nothing hidden from his sight. There's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing outside of his authority. All other gods, these gods that these sailors were praying to, they're not gods at all. They're worthless idols. All the gods that we worship that are not the one true God are worthless idols. Yahweh, this God, this triune God is the one true God. Heaven and earth are his. When we sin, it's him we're sinning against. If we don't honor him, glorify him, adore him as the one true God, as king of the cosmos, then we are committing cosmic treason against him. But here's one of the many surprises in the book of Jonah. And there's a lot of surprises in this book, but here's the main surprise and the best surprise, this mighty sovereign that we, like Jonah, try to run away from, that we, like these pagan sailors, deny when we worship idols, that our wickedness comes up to him, just like the Ninevites. This mighty sovereign is also the merciful Savior. He is a God who is gracious and compassionate and merciful and patient, and we see that in the salvation of the sailors. They worship and trust in false gods to save them. And then just a few verses later, God grants them repentance and they are saved. And God, we see this in, 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 in addition to that, to the, in the salvation of the Ninevites. The Ninevites, they're a wicked people. They were brutal and violent. They were immoral and savage, yet God grants them 
repentance and he relents from disaster, this disaster that they most truly, most assuredly deserve. And not only that, but we see in Jonah, this sinful man, he disobeys Yahweh, the God he professes to fear, the God he professes to obey. He disobeys Yahweh, the mighty sovereign. He tries to run away from the presence of Yahweh. He speaks to Yahweh in chapter 4 in a way that gives Yahweh just, just cause to smite him dead. And yet again and again, he is patient. And he's relentless in his pursuit of Jonah. He saves Jonah from drowning. And time again, time again he's patient with Jonah. And Jonah says in, in Jonah 4.2, he actually says it in anger, but it's still true, and it's good news nonetheless, and therefore we can say it with gratitude and gladness. He says, I know that you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And truly, that's what the entire book of Jonah is really all about Jonah, Nineveh, all the rest of it are just details. They're small pieces painting a beautiful mosaic of the beauty, the, the mercy, the grace of the Lord. And the point of the book is to reveal the beauty, the mercy, the, the, the excellence of Yahweh. And now you may have noticed that we've hardly talked about the fish at all. You might have thought that that would be a major focus as we dig into this book and that we might spend a lot of time trying to explain how this, is, how this could happen and explain uh, how, how this fish could, could come to swallow Jonah and then vomit him up. But the amount of sp space that the fish takes up in the story, it's actually not as important as we often make it out to be. The fish is not supposed to be our main focus anyway. We are like those dogs, if we want to see, uh, if we want to talk about the fish, we're like those dogs that when their master points at something, they look at the finger instead of the thing that their master is pointing at. In this case, the great fish is the finger pointing at the great God. The great fish was sent and appointed by Yahweh to rescue Jonah from drowning, to keep him from the danger of, of running away from Yahweh and his will any further. It was appointed to help Jonah, to protect him. Therefore, what the fish is pointing at is a merciful God who is full of compassion, full of grace, slow to anger, and steadfast love, and, and, and faithfulness. He's filled with love. He's an immeasurable ocean of love and mercy and grace. He's pointing at a God who rescues his people from themselves, a God who protects you, the God who pursues you, a God who won't let his chosen people run from him. A God who relentlessly pursues you and readily protects you at every turn in your life. We're so focused on the great fish that we forget to look at the great God that the story is pointing to. The, the, the great God who not only sent Jonah to preach and call the people of Nineveh to repentance, but, but because of his great love for us, he actually came down himself in flesh. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is not only the God who sends the prophets to preach mercy and repentance and peace, but he came to be that message for us. He came to be the Christ, the Savior for us. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He came not only to preach forgiveness, but to purchase our forgiveness. He came to rescue a people from every nation from the judgment to come by taking the judgment for us on the cross. 
And he was buried in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. But he didn't stay there. He was raised on the third day. And now he has sent his people, us, into all the nations of the earth as his representatives to preach peace, to preach repentance, to preach his mercy, and to warn of the coming judgment. That's what the book of Jonah is all about. The book of Jonah is all about the God of manifold mercies, of incalculable compassion, of, of unbounded mercy and grace. And, and, and because of that, it means that he is for you, people of Veritas. God is for you. He's the God of manifold mercies, abundant grace for you. And not only is he for us, but, he's, but it also means that he is for the nations. He is for the world. His manifold mercies means that he's creating a people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue to be trophies of his extravagant grace. And so the book is going to close, uh, when, when we close it in, in about a month and a half, the book is going to close with putting a question to us. Is our character going to be uh, that which reflects the character of Yahweh, our God? Are we going to have the same concern for the nations uh, like he has concern for the nations? Are we going to love and serve and care for the nations because of, because of his manifold mercies? Are we going to be a people sent for the good of the world that he so loves? Are we going to be people that preach good news to a bad world? That's what the book of Jonah is all about. And so as we embark on this journey for the next several weeks, walking slowly through Jonah. Look at Yahweh. Look at the merciful God, the compassionate, sovereign, merciful God. Look at Christ as he is revealed here and let your heart be stirred and warm toward him. And, 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 and as you do so, may we, rather than flee from him, may we run to him. And not only run to him, but as we grow in, in beholding him and loving him, may we also grow as a people that run to the people of our city and to the nations to witness to the mercy of God for all peoples. May we be a people so apprehended, so caught up in the mission of God and in the mercy of God as we study and open this book. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help. As we've begun to look at Jonah this morning, we ask for your help in the coming weeks to behold you? Would you give us eyes to see you, eyes to see the Christ? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us hearts that receive the seed of the word and produce 30, 60, 100 fold? And Lord, not, not only for the coming weeks, but even this morning, Lord, we, we need you this morning. We need to meet with you this morning. We, we need to hear from you this morning. We, we need to receive from you this morning. And so we ask that as we are about to approach the Lord's table, Lord, that you would grant us to have communion with you. That you would grant that we would behold you, enjoy you. That we would behold you in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. And that you would help us, Lord, to, as we commune with you, would you grant us grace would you fill us? Would you grant us grace to be a people who in a few moments are going to be sent from here to be the church for the world? Would you prepare us as we're going to be sent from here in a few moments to be a people who um, pour out our lives to witness to in our, in our work and 
with our words of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our fellow students, to our families and our homes, our children? Would you sanctify us to be your people for our city and for the nations? And I also pray, Lord, that, that you would start to put in the hearts of your people, several people uh, in the coming weeks, that you would put in the hearts of your people, Lord, a, 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 a call to go to the nations of the earth. Lord, and, and not only that, but would you put in the heart of every single person this morning and in the coming weeks in this room, would you put in our hearts a, a, a tangible sense of your mercy, a tangible sense of, of your grace, of your benevolence toward us in Christ. And, and as we sense that, as we see that, as we enjoy you, as we enjoy your grace and your mercy and your benevolence, would you help us to, to grow as a people who serve you with quiet minds and peaceful consciences? Lord, we are in great need this morning, but you are more than enough, the great God. You are more than enough for us. And so we look to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.